Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. And this episode in particular includes discussion of suicide, violence, and sexual assault as it pertains to children. Please keep this in mind when listening. Thank you and enjoy the show. Your next pro tip, if you're thinking of kidnapping a kid, don't, because you won't get away with it. Hi, and welcome to Gen X That Was a Thing, the podcast where we talk about shit from our childhood that scarred us or affected us in some way. My name is Amy. I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm her sister, Jenny, born in 1974. Morning, Jen. Yeah. I'm saying morning, but it's one o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) And it's raining and miserable today. And it's like so dark here. It's awful. It was sleeting here. Ew, really? Yeah. Um, Quick question. Did Mm -hmm. you see the new season of Love is Blind? Wait, there's another new season of Mm -hmm. Love is Blind? Just came out yesterday. But wait, didn't didn't I just watch a new one that came out like a month ago? Two months ago? Well, you were late to the party watching that. Oh, how long was that out? A couple months. But that, I mean, okay, so they released two seasons within a couple months of each other. I think so. I think they did two this year. Okay. This one's in Seattle, and it's wild. Oh, oh, interesting. (laughs) That's going to be interesting. No, I did not, obviously. I've been watching um, Couples Therapy like you were yelling at me to watch. And... It's good. I like it. Oh, it's, it's good. so good, isn't I'm it? I'm on season two. It's so, so good. Do not drink that drink on air. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Jesus. Jenny gets an iced coffee, guys. <laughs> I've gone through this before. Ugh. All right, Jenny. Um, Today we're going to talk about... Today is true crime edition. Oh, God. Now, Jenny loves... Jenny loves when we do that was a thing because she literally does not prepare do in any way. Yeah. I give That's her, not true. I do an index card. I give her what to do the index card on. <laughs> okay, but I have to actually do the research. Mm-hmm. You do. And sometimes I give you a real narrow index card because I don't want you to know anything about the subject. Right. Yep. So, you know. So today is a little true crime edition. Today we're going to talk about Stephen Stainer. I didn't even know that was his name. Like, I saw this on our calendar. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the story of the boy made famous by surviving a seven-year-long abduction in Northern California in the 1970s. 
Stephen's story was shared with the world in a mini series we know called I Know My First Name is Stephen. That, that I remember. And it aired on NBC in 1983, I believe. And yes. 45 million people watched it. Yeah, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was see, a thing. See how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jenny, how old were you when you saw this? What do you remember watching? Like, what do you remember about watching the movie for the first time? Um, I don't know how old I was. I was probably 10-ish. Okay. Right? It was in 83? Because mm-hmm. I definitely saw it when it came out. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know why mom was letting us watch true crime at that age, but I was terrified. I remember being terrified because there was a lot of this child abduction theme in our childhood. Yes. Yes. Like it, it, there, I remember there was kids kidnapped and murdered, I think, in Old Forge, which is Preaching Keen. Preaching Keen. Oh, really? Is that who that was? Yeah, they were on their way to like a little league game or something. Yeah, I have the something. book. And I remember like dad would tell me really fucked up details about that case when I was a kid. <laughs> and like things that he knew were not true, but like lore, because those kids were killed when dad was a kid. No, 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 no. There was another abduction. Oh. That, I, that's what I thought when you were saying that that's an older one. I was like from the 50s well don't forget we had Frank Oslani killing and, and chopping up people there was stuff. kids I remember we that were supposed Renee to Waddle, have she was like four we were supposed we're to have kids. a parade for twirling in Old Forge and I was terrified to go and I had I mean I think I was like six when I was in twirling yeah because they had just found kids that were killed there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was when we were kids mm-hmm I don't know what, what case that was or who that was, but it was terrifying. Like, it felt like a real threat all the time. It really did. And so it's every parent's worst nightmare, Jenny. The image of your child's oh face God. as they peer out the rear window of a strange car as it drives away. Okay. And I remember... Yeah, that's really specific. Also, <laughs> I remember also seeing that image in... Well, that's the image that sticks out to me from this movie. I don't really remember the movie. And I also remember in Mystic River when the girls kidnapped. Yes. Same yes. same thing. It's like that. That movie portrayed this type of thing really well. It did. I thought. It did. Don't even get me started on Sean Penn. Oh, we can't go God. down that rabbit hole. Oh, he's so good at that. So, Jenny, this is every parent's worst nightmare, but these abductions and kidnappings are not super common anymore. Like, even though they were when we were kids. I have an index card. <laughs> Okay. Well, this is what you told me to do it on. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> Go. Um, so, like, I, I just did some research on kidnapping statistics, like, wondering is this, it feels like it's much less of a thing, right? Than it was. Well, it's we interesting kids. because I wrote that sentence with zero facts behind it. Oh, nice. But, yeah. like, somehow I kind of knew nice. that it was okay. true. <laughs> so, all right. So, don't ever use our podcast as any kind of, like, source of truth for anything well, that you're and writing. And don't let your bunny out into the woods like Jenny wanted. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to feel really bad if someone's, like, rabbit dies now because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I told them to just set it free. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um. So the most recent statistics on this, so the, the type of abduction we're talking to is what they call like in in these, you know, in, in crime statistics as stereotypical. 
kidnapping. Mm-hmm. So this means it's a non-family abduction perpetrated by a stranger or a slight acquaintance in which the perpetrator either detains the child overnight, kills the child, transports the child 50 miles or further, demands ransom, or keeps the child permanently. So the most common or the most recent crime statistics on this are from 2019. Although I've seen stuff, this was tough because there's like data all over the place. Yeah. And there's some good sources and some like just the way they're talking about it. Like it's slightly different metric that they're looking at. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of confusing, but it seems like in the years between 2010 and 2017, fewer than 350 kids a year were, were they, they have like, they've proven cases of kidnapping. There's, there's reported, they're suspecting, but like, this is how often they think it actually happens. So that's pretty low. That's like a one in 2.5 million chance. Yeah, it's, a- it's pretty low, but even now, like, you'll still see these stories on the news, like, a man tried to lure a kid into a van in music. Yeah. And you don't and- know if that's an attempted kidnapping, or is it just somebody being paranoid? You know what I mean? Right. And the, the most common ages are between 12 and 17. The most common reasons now are human trafficking. So oh. this is, so those statistics I was giving were for the U.S., um, there's, you know, it's, it's staggered all over the world and in some areas it's much higher in some areas it's almost non-existent. Um, in the Washington post, they, they published a study that the justice department just did not too mm-hmm. long ago. Mm-hmm. And they looked at kidnapping in the eighties and seventies. Like, was this, Oh, okay. Thing? Was it a thing? And they say the amount of stereotypical kidnapping was 4,600 in 1988. So that's dramatically higher than 350 per year, right? Um, With 100,000 attempted. I mean, the other thing you have to remember is now there's cameras everywhere. Well, and that's, we live in a surveillance state. You're not going to get away with this stuff anymore. Yeah. So, but the (laughs) other thing. Pro tip, if you're thinking of kidnapping a kid, don't. Because you won't get away with it. <laughs> I mean, the other thing that this study did say, though, is that of those kids that were abducted by strangers, which was for, like 4,600, mm-hmm. um, most of them were returned within, you know, a couple days. They they got home within a couple days. Right. And then, um, but 200 to 300 either died or were permanently abducted. So that's still around the same statistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, still. Okay. Um, doesn't happen a lot, but you know, as I'm sure you can attest to as a parent, terrifying. Terrifying. And I want to say, I don't know, like we, it, it just seemed so much more reported when we were kids. Uh, I just or did they just stick more. with us because we were kids? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think it just, I think the attempts happen more than they do now, it seems like. Um, yeah although now like now the vast majority of kidnappings are parental abductions so this yeah. is when one parent takes the kid out of the state or whatever in 1976 there were 60,000 parental abductions in 1984 there were between 450,000 and 700,000 wow and in 2010 it was back down to like 200,000 so this is still okay. <clears throat> the vast majority of kidnapping this and runaways so they don't oh. consider that kidnapping, but ki- like reasons kid go kids go missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrifying, and it didn't help that we had a mother who was obsessed with this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I don't think I realized how much she was obsessed with this kind of stuff until much later. She was obsessed with Adam Walsh, John Walsh's. Oh, 
That was the dude. Kid. What what show was that? America America's what? Most Wanted. Yeah. He is such a good dude. Yeah. Oh yep. my god. Crazy. All right, Jenny. So here's what so here's what I did when I was doing the research for all of this. I wrote down before I started doing any research what I remembered to then cuz then I could fact check my memory. Mm-hmm. So here's what I remembered. Um, I remember being horrified by the events of Steven's real life story. Um, you know, I remember seeing the movie. I remember Ken Parnell. I remember the creepy glasses that he wore. I remember him as very old, even though he wasn't. I remember him brainwashing Steven, telling him his parents didn't want him. I also remember that there was an illusion of sexual assault, but I wasn't sure. And I remember the story being like pretty simple, but the point that I hung, got hung up on as a kid a lot was Stephen had like a bunch of chances to escape. So why didn't he? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, he's 12 years old, like just run, run away, like just start running. How old was he when he was abducted? Seven. Seven. We'll get into that. So like when I was watching this movie, I just had no concept of psychological brainwashing or control, right? right. I just thought like, you're out in the open, run away. So, and then I wrote, I would become very familiar with psychological control later during what I call my Manson phase. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So how reliable was my memory? Let's find out. So Stephen was seven years old the day he was abducted, Jenny. Seven. Yeah, that's young. Like, to put that into context, Macaulay Culkin was ten in Home Alone. Oh, wow. Melissa Gilbert was nine in the first season of Little House on the Prairie. okay. This is two years younger than that. So he was young, and he was small. The average height and weight for a seven-year-old boy in the U.S. is four feet, 50 pounds. Mm Mm-hmm. He was smaller than that. By all accounts, he was very small for his age. He was walking home from school in Merced, California on December 4th, 1972, when a man approached him. This man, Edwin Irwin Murphy, asked Stephen if his mother would be willing to donate money to the local church. See, it's always the church. Oh, God. That gets you. Lures you in. (laughs) Stephen guessed she would. I mean, mean, the church is great. (laughs) I'm not making fun of religion. Stephen guessed she would since his mother had often shown acts of kindness towards others, especially the church. So he said yes. Then Murphy offered to drive him home to collect the donation. Stephen refused the ride a few times since he was only blocks from his home, but Murphy was unrelenting. Now, in the movie, they show the kid like very willingly getting in the car. Like there's no turning it down. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And I'll talk about the movie and, you know, the discrepancies in a minute. So Stephen finally agreed to let the man give him a ride home. It was December. It was cold. It was sleeting. Stephen was seven again. Well, and of course, seven-year-olds walking home alone. Like, well, you tell so, us the 70s. <laughs> so his mother was supposed to pick him up from school, but she got delayed at the, um, she got delayed because of bad customer service. So let's just blame this on bad oh, customer service. Okay, what happened? I don't know. She was at a store and she was like having some difficulty and, you know, the checking out was slow and stuff like that. Oh my God. Okay. So by the time she got to the school, he was gone. 
And then she got home and he wasn't there. And so, like, they wait a couple hours. Like, could you imagine seven? Seven. 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 Jesus Christ. So the two, the Stephen and and this Edwin Irwin get in a car nearby where 41-year-old Kenneth Parnell is waiting. 41, Jenny. 15 years younger than you. Uh, No, that's not how math works. (laughs) First of all. Parnell had been waiting for this for a while. He had been watching Stephen walk home for Mm. weeks now. And thanks to a gossipy postal worker. Oh, man. He even knew that Stephen had recently gotten trouble with his parents over something and had gotten a spanking. And he knew this was his time to strike. Like, why the postal worker is That's saying weird. this is That's weird. That's fucking weird. And like, mm-hmm. there's two grown men talking about this? Yeah. So my, my sources here, guys, are ABC News, CNN, the Seattle Times, and then I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and watched a 12-hour documentary on this case. Did you really? I did. <laughs> Over the period of a few days, but I did. Oh, Jesus. So let me tell you a little bit about Ken Barnell. So, Ken Parnell was born in Texas in 1931 during the Dust Bowl, which we know was horrific. Yes. Right. Yes. He had a rough upbringing. His father abandoned the family when Parnell was six. His mother took him and a few of his half-sisters to Bakersfield, California, where she ran a boarding house. At a young age, Parnell exhibited some strange behavior. At four, Jenny, he tried to pull his teeth out with pliers. Wow. At four? Jesus, that's fucking weird. That is, according to the podcast, True Crime California, which has a really good episode on this. Hmm. So at at nine, he shone a light in his eye for a long period of time and did permanent damage. Wow. Mm -hmm. Shortly after, he tried to commit suicide by shooting himself in the stomach. Holy shit. Jumping into a wood pile with the nails pointed up. Wow. And he also drank a bottle of disinfectant. <laughs> Holy, at nine. Around this time, yeah. Like young, Jesus, young adolescent. That's crazy. Yep. He once told the therapist he thought about suicide at least once a month. Oh my God. And like th- at this time, no one did anything about, like, they, depression wasn't a thing. They didn't talk about that then. But I'm immediately like, so he was in therapy. That's pretty progressive that at this is, time. That is actually. But I mean, yeah. he sounds like a severe case. It sounds like it was probably a situation where he's getting therapeutic intervention in like a boy's detention home, which he was in. Yeah. So according to Mike Eccles, the author of I Know My First Name is Stephen, Parnell was in and out of juvenile detention and mental hospitals all throughout his adolescence. Around the age of 13 or 14, he told police he was raped by a man at his mother's boarding house, but he later recanted this allegation. Oh, so God. we don't know. Now, at, in 1950, at 19 years old, Parnell's arrested in California for sodomy with the child. Oh, Jesus. He had bought a fake police badge and impersonated a policeman. He convinced an eight-year-old boy to get into his car, drove him out to a field somewhere, assaulted him, and dropped him back off. The boy's father called police, and Parnell was convicted of impersonating an officer and lewd behavior. That's it. That's it. Good behavior. Holy shit. He was committed for being a, quote, sexual psychopath, 
but only served three and a half years in prison. Now, I started to research California laws here, but I don't want to bore you and I don't want to enrage you. Here it is in a nutshell. In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, sodomy, which they consider a crime against nature, anal or animal, was considered homosexual activity and was a felony. So sodomy is a felony up to this point. Right. Right. All right. So Parnell would say his wife was pregnant at the time and her belly was too big. She was too big for him, Jenny. She, he just couldn't have sex with her. So an oh eight-year-old boy had to fill in. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. hmm So he, as a result of this, so he serves three and a half years in prison, which is insane. And he has to register as a sex offender. Okay. Okay. So these lists in the 50s were mostly comprised of people who were gay, since yep. sodomy was illegal and got you on the list. of the people on the list were charged with sexual perversion, which just meant sodomy with another male. So, in other words, the cops and the um, officials in different counties and states did not take this list very seriously. Because they knew it was mostly gay people. Well, and it sounds like he wasn't convicted of kidnapping a child, raping a child. No. Nope. Wow. Nope. Wow. So he was able to avoid detection by just moving to another county because, again, we didn't have agencies that talked to each other. Yes. We didn't yep. have some national mainframe or anything like that. Yep. So in 1960, Parnell did six years in jail for armed robbery in Utah. He worked odd jobs. He moved around a lot. He had a few run-ins with the law, did some more time in a mental institution. And in 1972, he's working at Yosemite Lodge as a night clerk. Why is that important to me? You'll see later. You just said that in a way that I feel like I should know something about that. <laughs> He's living in a small cabin nearby. I feel like there has been, I don't know if it's just what I'm watching. Again, go back to the episode where I talk about my TikTok feed, which is totally dystopian. Oh but I've also been watching a lot of true crime lately that centers on like janitors and people who have keys to people's apartments. For, like, official reasons. And now that freaks me out. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. I feel like also there was a lot of angst around national parks when we were kids. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like, that was a place where you could get abducted. Or, like... I never went to a national park. Um, isn't... Isn't... Oh, that's a state park. I went to... Yeah, I've gone to state parks, but... I never went to a national park. I feel like around parks, like those big parks, that was like always a thing too. So Jenny, at this time, Yosemite is like really kind of isolated and it's considered a place where people go to hide, a place that attracts drifters and free spirits. Oh, so I mean, I'm not imagining this. Like this is no. this is what people were doing no. in national parks and state parks when we were kids. But put a pin in this. Okay. Because we're going to come back to it. So this is where Parnell meets that creep, Irvin Edward Irvin Murphy. So Murphy's described as a mentally mentally impaired and easily manipulated by the people who knew him. Parnell befriends this dude and tells him he's studying to become a religious leader and is being called upon by God to guide young boys spiritually. And Parnell completely manipulated him and told him that God told him he was meant to save a child who was being abused. So that's where Stephen Stainer comes in. Because Parnell used that information from the postal worker 
that Steven Stainer was being spanked. And that's how he connected these dots for Murphy and got Murphy to lure Steven into the car. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online, and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So back in the afternoon of the abduction, after abducting Stephen, Parnell drives him to a cabin in Kathy's Valley, California, where Stephen's nightmare would begin. Along the way, Parnell stops and makes a phone a call from a payphone. He gets back in the car and tells Stephen his parents don't want him anymore. Oh my god. Mhm. So he's telling him he doesn't want him anymore and he's using again this your dad said you got in trouble recently, you were bold right. over this. So he he's just that he using is talking that. to his parents. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. So the cabin is isolated. Stephen has no idea where he is. For the first few nights, Murphy and Parnell are there together with him. And Parnell tells Stephen, oh, I called your mother and she's given you permission to stay the night. And then after a few days, Parnell leaves and comes back and tells Stephen he went to court and has been granted custody of him. Wow. Because his parents, who had four other children, could not afford to raise him. Holy shit. And at this point, he convinces Stephen to change his name to Dennis and to call him dad. Wow. And this is the part in the movie where they put a really bad wig on this kid. Yeah. And they, like, dye it black. And I remember that. <laughs> okay. I never forget a bad wig. Because I'm going to end up wearing a wig someday because of my balding situation. So, like, I'm always on the lookout for how do wigs look on people? And can I find a good one? <laughs> So, Jenny, it's important to note here that the Stainer family searched frantically for Stephen. Like, they did everything right. Yeah. They called the police. Kay and Dill are the parents. Dilbert, but they call him Dill. 
They called the police immediately because you do not, contrary to popular opinion, you do not have to wait 24 hours no. when a small child is missing. No, no. In fact, they're right. the most crucial. Right, because a small child's probably not running away. Right. Or if they run away, they run away, like, to the yard. Jane, did you ever run away? I, I imagine you tried to. Yeah. Well, we know you ran away as a teenager. Yeah. But did you ever try to run away as a small kid? I don't think so. If I did, I don't remember. No. Okay. You weren't stupid. You knew you controlled the house and you weren't leaving. Jenny ran things. (laughs) So they engaged the community. The entire community was really supportive of these people. Um, In fact, Kay, I saw an interview with Kay and she talks about like some of these people brought them psychics. One dude even confessed to the murder because he felt like they needed closure. Wow. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so they were... They were, um, the psychics were telling them that Stephen was dead and buried somewhere with a lot of tin cans. So they're ripping up landfills. They're ripping up hillsides. Like they're ripping up California. Listening to psychics. So we Mm -hmm. were actually listening to psychics. Okay. Okay. Now that was a thing. That was a thing. That was a thing. It was. Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Brown. Oh God. I remember that. Yeah. Whenever she was on Oprah or whatever, Graham would like everything in Graham's world would stop to watch Sylvia Brown. So the FBI was not brought in. So the FBI didn't work this case because they had no evidence that he had crossed state lines with Stephen. And he so did it. California. Right. He so did the, it. So the FBI can't get involved unless they know they've crossed. I, state I lines? don't know. Legal like memes come at us with that if that's a legal thing. Meme. But our legal team and the meme bees <laughs> come at us with some information here. All I'm saying is that was the reason they didn't get involved in this case. I don't know okay. if that's true anymore. So they were right, though. Parnell moved Stainer around a little bit, but mostly stayed in Northern California. And he showered Stephen with gifts. He also routinely raped him. Okay. This is this is an important part of the story. Because when Stephen is returned, he claims at first that that's false. Huh. And we'll talk about why. I feel we'll like get there. I totally believe it happened. A hundred percent. history. Yes. Yeah. So Parnell allowed Stephen to live however he wanted. Drugs, alcohol. He let him drive. He let him do whatever like, he wanted. At like eight years old? Um, This was probably around the time he was 10 or 11. Jesus. Yeah. So in one scene from the movie, Stephen is nine or 10 years old and he's drinking beer in a hotel room. Parnell and some woman return home, start having sex in front of him, and Parnell insists that Stephen join in. Like, this is the kind of life oh this dude Oh, my God. hmm What's wrong with that woman? I know. I know. In the seven years total that Stephen was held by Parnell, Stephen had plenty of opportunities to escape. He was enrolled in school, where he could have told any number of people what was happening. Uh, Parnell worked long days, often leaving Stephen for hours and hours alone in their home. And this was the part that confused me as a kid. Like, why didn't he run? Well, because he why didn't, didn't he leave? He thought that his parents abandoned him. So Kay, in this interview, says at one point he did escape. It was within the first few days. But he's at this remote cabin in Northern California, and he's seven. Yeah. And well, he goes outside, course. and he doesn't know what the fuck to do. Right. What so he's he like, I don't know. So uh, he... He honestly believed his parents didn't want him. He says that he looked at newspapers for signs of them searching for him. Oh. But never saw anything. 
he grew up angry. He grew up abused. He grew up confused and he was isolated with Parnell and found himself more confused whenever than ever when he reached 14 and Parnell started to lose interest in him. Oh boy. Okay. So when Parnell asks for Steven's help in selecting a new boy and luring a new victim into his car, Stephen reluctantly agrees. Again, at this point, Stephen is 14 and he has spent exactly the same amount of time with Parnell as he did with his family of origin. Right. So he's effed up, probably. A hundred percent. Yeah. So he depended on Parnell. He knew no other life and he sought his approval. Yet when push came to shove, Stephen often failed to seal the deal in these attempted abductions. So he never like, actually lured anybody. He would make back. mistakes all the time. He later admitted that he sabotaged those efforts on purpose. Mm -hmm. But Jen, there's always a stoner you can bribe. So his friend, Sean Portman, Portman was offered drugs and some cash if he this would help. This is Stephen's friend. Yeah, if he would help Parnell out. So he did. Okay. Now, Stephen, I'm sure, would welcome a brother. After all, he came from a home of five children. He spent a lot of time alone, especially at night, as Parnell had gotten a night security job somewhere. Yet when blonde-haired... How five... does this guy get hired as a security guard? I know. I know. He's got this crazy criminal record. No one... This is what drives me so crazy about this time period. No one could check anything. How could you should be able to do background checks on people? I don't know. And if it's some little, like, shin... Like, little fly-by-night place where yeah, he's getting paid under it. the table. They yeah. just probably didn't even do it. You know, Jen, he's a boomer white guy. They trusted him. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So when five-year-old Timmy White was brought home and introduced as his new brother, Stephen knew in his gut he had to save this innocent kid he was from five the nightmare. Years old? Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus. From the nightmare that he lived through. And he, that day, made a decision that they were going to escape. Wow. So on March 1st, 1980, 16 days after Timmy White walked into Ken Parnell's cabin, Stephen packed them up and they walked a quarter mile down to the road, hitched a ride, and he brought Timmy to the Ukiah police station. Wow. He was only going to send Timmy in alone. He He pulls up and he's like, you go, you go. Yeah. But Timmy was like scared because he was five. Yeah. And he didn't want to go in alone. So they're like struggling outside the police station and a cop sees this mm -hmm. and he brings them both in. And that's when they discover he's Stephen Stainer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the ne over the next few days, both boys are reunited with their families and Parnell was arrested. Back in Merced, which is called the Gateway to Yosemite. Steven's older brother, Carrie Stainer, and I'll talk more about their reunion as I talk about the, the movie, uh, was just getting ready to graduate high school when his little brother, Steven, comes home. So Carrie's the oldest of the kids. Mm -hmm. He is 11 when Steven goes missing. So four years different. So like, think of how your life would have been destroyed had I been kidnapped <laughs> when you were 11 years old. Okay. So losing Stephen had been a crushing blow to him, and the two were reportedly very close. Friends of Carrie Stainer would report that he would wish on a star for his brother's return. And I'm like, nerd. <laughs> we 
college. It's all is, psychics and wishing on yes, stars. No wonder yes. why these kids didn't get found. He's let me clarify. He's not a nerd for wanting his brother back, but he's kind of a nerd for wishing on a star for it. God. <laughs> if they just did actual police work, they may have gotten these kids back. Yeah. So he developed nervous tics like pulling his hair out, which mm. do you remember when I pulled all my eyebrows out in Yes, college? I do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mm-hmm. remember that. So then he started doing weird shit with women. Oh, no. That's all I I got for that. He later claimed he was neglected by his parents who spent several years searching for their missing younger son. So we see this a lot. Yeah. A younger sibling is murdered or God forbid, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And the rest of the family kind of falls apart. I mean, it's just that's what grief does to families. Um, upon Steven's return, his parents really struggle with parenting him because he's yeah. he's like been living as an adult. Right. So he wants to continue doing that. He wants to smoke and drink right. and do drugs. <laughs> and he's 14. And, and he's 14. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of tension between him and his father because his mm-hmm. father um, still wants to parent him like he's seven. Right. And he's just not that person anymore. Okay. So Stephen also has to face Parnell in court. Oh, God. Could you imagine? I know. Parnell is sentenced to seven years in prison. That's it. That's it. For kidnapping a fucking kid for seven years. Two counts of kidnapping and one count of false imprisonment. Oh, so they didn't. Afraid of the ridicule, Stephen denied at first that he was raped by Parnell. Jenny, there are press conferences. Let me talk a little bit about, there's a new show out on Hulu about this. It's a series and it's oh, called really? Captive Audience. It came out last year and I watched it in preparation for this. I didn't see all of it, but I watched a couple episodes. And one of the things that they did that was really fucked up is the media was all over this. Oh, I bet. Not when he counted and they could have helped find him. Right. But when yeah. he was reunited. Okay. Of course. And... The mother admits that she made a big mistake. She's like, you know, the community was such a big part of us, like helping us through this process that when Stephen came back, I allowed everybody into our lives because I wanted them to share in this joy with us that he was back. Mm -hmm. So she gave the press like like unfettered access to him. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's a mistake. Here's something fucked up, right? So the cops show up at her house. It's three in the morning. Knock, knock, knock. We're here about your son. She assumes they're here about Carrie, who's like a wild person by this time. Right. And he had gotten camping. They're like, oh, I'm assuming he's drunk or something, whatever. And they're like, no, we're here about your son, Steven. He's alive. Oh, my God. And he's in Ukiah, which is, you know, two to three hours north, I think, of them. Mm -hmm. They want to get in the car and go right up there. Of course. And the police are like, no, we have to question him. We have to get the story. Like, you know, it's going to have to wait. Up in Ukiah, meanwhile, they march him out for a fucking press conference. Seriously? So this kid hasn't even reunited with his family. Wow. And they put him down in front of a room full of press. Wow. And they're like asking him questions. So fucking crazy. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, um... During the trial, it comes out that they have found Polaroids of him naked when he was seven in Parnell's possessions. So on the stand, Stephen does admit that he was raped by Parnell. 
Um, so Parnell Jen serves only five years of his sentence. Unbelievable. Less time than he held Stephen captive. Unbelievable. And by 1986, he was a free man. Ugh. Yeah. So one of the things I want to say, too, is it was really interesting because the mother, they, okay, so let me back up. The daughter, Stephen went on to get married and have two kids, which I'll talk about in a minute. The daughter was only four when he eventually dies, okay? She wanted to make this documentary on Hulu because she wanted to have the family's point of view in this story. Okay. So the, so the, there's interviews with all the family members. So there's interviews with Kay, his mother. Mm-hmm. She says, I made a terrible mistake because I always taught my kids to respect authority mm-hmm. and to trust authority figures. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what the boomers did. Mm-hmm. Steven returns to school and he's ridiculed. Kids are calling of him course. gay. Mm-hmm. Kids are questioning sexuality. Where's your purse? You know, stuff like that. Because he was, unbelievable again, brutally raped wow. by an adult as a child. Um, Stephen, okay, so you would think as parents, you'd want your kid to get some help for this. Yeah. But Dill does not want Stephen to go to therapy. Oh, Lord. He doesn't believe in it. Wow. But he believes in fucking psychics Mm -hmm. and wishing on stars. Oh, no, that Mm -hmm. was the brother that was wishing on the star, but still. (laughs) And Stephen at this time, so here's something really interesting they did in the Hulu documentary also. They took, so the person who did the movie, I know my first name is Steven, did extensive interviews with the family, like embedded himself with the family. And he recorded all of the interviews. So this documentary maker printed them all out and had the original actors from the movie read them and talk about it. It was, it was a really unique documentary the guy who played Steven in the miniseries was Corin Nevin, who okay. I had a huge crush on. Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Yes. Google him. I want you to look at him. I just What's want you to see him. Corin Nemec. N-E-M-E-C. He was so cute. And he was Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Okay. Do you remember Parker Lewis Can't Lose? Um, yes, I do remember that. Jenny, he was adorable. Look at him. He's kind of, kind of hot now. Anyway, um, he was reading the scripts and he was talking about the interviews and it was really interesting to hear his perspective on this character that he played. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was a really cool way to do it. Um, Did he ever meet the real Steven? Oh, yes. The whole family was very involved in the making of the movie. Oh, interesting. But they didn't like it. I'll get to that. Okay. So, um, anyway, during these interviews, these raw interviews that the original director had, original writer had taken. Because it's a book, right? Yes. Steven yeah. says he does not, he did not want to talk about the sexual abuse and therefore right. he didn't want to go to therapy. So we don't know if he was just kind of being influenced by his father's reluctance to it or if he genuinely would have kind of fought back against being I mean, I feel like that's probably mm-hmm. the instinct of most, like a lot of people in that situation, mm-hmm. but like you have to get your kid help. Yeah. 
Yep. So Stephen Stainer comes home. He makes it through high school. And at 20 years old, he marries Jody. And they had two kids. His life, however, ended tragically in a deadly motor ac- motorcycle accident in 1989. He was 24. Oh, wow. And Timmy White, who was only 14 at the time, was a pallbearer at his funeral. Aww. And it's important to note that Stephen, Stephen was considered a hero. Yeah, Like, he absolutely. saved Timmy White's life. No question. No question. And so he's getting all this fame. I mean, he's on Good Morning America. There is a super cringy uh, interview with him via satellite talking to Hugh Downs on Good Morning America. And Hugh Downs is asking him, like, did Ken Parnell ever touch you inappropriately? Oh like, it's so fucking weird. It's oh. so weird. But anyway... So he gets tons of like, you know, trips and gifts and like the media just love him. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, his brother, Carrie, is given these interviews like, well, Stephen just did what anybody would have done. Typical older sis. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> oh, God. He's like, oh, you know, who wouldn't have saved that kid? Oh, Stevie's boy. no hero. Like just, you oh, know, and then God. he would like catch himself and temper it. <sighs> and in one interview at the end he goes you know i don't know why he was getting all this attention blah 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 and then he says you know i i i I guess he did a good thing he got what he deserved and like you're on that line like he got what he deserved and so they had the actor who played the brother in the movie reading this interview Mm -hmm. and the brother and the actor's gone wow that could really be said one of two ways couldn't it it could be like he got what he deserved you know like he deserved the praise or mm-hmm. he got what he deserved. <laughs> it could really be read two different ways. Uh-huh. So, Jenny, Steven's a hero, but you know who's not a fucking hero? Carrie Strainer, his older sib. So he's struggling with his own mental health issues long before Steven's death. Things get worse after. He disappears for long stretches of time, Jen, into Yosemite. Oh, no. <laughs> you remember, Jen, the place, the place where people go to forget? Remember? <laughs> so he's getting, like, weirder and weirder with women. He's exposing himself to a friend's sister. He's getting more aggressive. He tells a friend he feels like jumping in a truck, driving it through a shop and killing the boss and killing everybody in the office and then torching the place. Like, wow. Okay. But instead of seeking mental health, he ends up taking refuge in Yosemite. And in 1997, just like Parnell, he gets a job there. Only now he's the handyman at the lodge. Okay. Now, according to ABC News, Stainer had been at Cedar Lodge for two years when Carol Sund, her daughter, Julie Sund, and her friend, Silvina Peloso. The girls are teenagers. The mom is, you know, in her 40s or whatever. They come by Yosemite and they're just chilling for one night there. And that night he talks their way into their room under the guise of fixing a link of the sink, sexually assaults them, murders all three of them. Oh, my God. The mm-hmm. brother. Yep. This is his older brother, Stephen's yep. older brother. Yeah. Wow. Older, older Sib. I'm telling you, he Damn. has to outdo Steven now. <laughs> yeah, well, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a murderer. Yeah, pretty much. So the FBI finds the women within few, a few weeks, but they have no lead. So five months pass, nothing. 
The community thinks they're in the clear. This must have been a drifter drifting through whatever. Now, this is in the 90s. Wow. list winds up dead and when i'm talking dead i mean she's decapitated wow her body's found like seven feet from her head wow the police have reports of carrie's car near the scene so he had been interviewed but the for the other murders but like didn't raise a red flag with them in any way guys Hmm. always look at the handyman (sighs) always okay Uh, (sighs) are you just gonna malign all handymen now no but start there. The husband, then the handyman. The husband is first. I was going to say, it's all like the husband is number one. So, Jen, this time they bring him in, and guess what he does? He confesses. Wow. Yeah. So he's arrested. He's sentenced to death, and he is 57 years old. He's on death row, and he's known as the Yosemite Killer. He's killed four Holy women. shit. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. When a friend asked him if he needed anything after his arrest, Carrie said, he wanted a film crew and a movie of the week to be made about him, just like <gasps> his brother. No. Bam! <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I just wrote wow. capital letters. Wow. This is wow. a move Jenny would make. No, it's not. Definitely <laughs> not. First of all. <laughs> God. You would try to outdo me. I know you would. But, like, not by murdering people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you would probably go the altruistic route and, like, try to help people and become a saint of some kind. Yeah, something. Right, I would get yeah. cantonized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jenny, uh, what do you think of this? It's fucking bizarre. I had no idea his brother was a serial killer. Yeah, because I think it's four, over three-year serial killer, right? I mean, yeah. Is that how that works? Let's just say his brother was a murderer. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. I was really surprised, and I will tell you this. Watching that documentary, I highly recommend to everybody the Hulu documentary. Again, it's called Captive Audience. They interview his kids. His kids are grown now, Stephen's kids. This is Stephen's kids, okay. Mm-hmm. And they're lovely people. And, huh. like, his mom even talks about what a and, – and the, and the wife, who you know, if there's going to be anybody who, who would air out the bad baggage, it would be the wife – Right. She says he was a wonderful father. He was wow. really excited to be a father. He was really um, supportive of the miniseries. So the guy comes to him to do the miniseries. This is after off- the book is written. Yeah, offers him some money. And he's like, yeah, we'll do it. They fly the family to the set. They treat them like royalty. They're very involved. And then the movie comes out and Dill hates it because he thinks he was, you know, falsely maligned for being whatever i guess i don't he wasn't a bad father he was just a man of that time yeah you know what i mean yeah absolutely but i i will tell you this when you watch footage of steven being returned um dill runs up to him and is the first person to throw his arms around him and hug him it's really interesting because i would expect Hmm. dill to be like standing back and being a little yeah. standoffish yeah. but hmm. it's and the documentary also goes into the differences between the book or the movie and the uh, real story and they actually play mm. clips of the movie and show you the differences mm. it's really interesting it's it's a good documentary so that's our, our true time true crime case jenny so i'm going to give you a minute to think about a why that you can dedu- deduct from this oh i have a why and i'm going to give you a mine so mine is this is why I always teach my kids, if you're lost, 
look for a mother. This yeah. is what I always tell them. Because we have way too many people pretending to be cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. even with the, the Murdoch murders, I don't know if you watched that. No. Alex Murdoch's, like, walking around the, with the, like, fake police badge of some kind. Oh like, trying to throw yeah. his power around. So, I always taught my kids, and I learned that from, I don't know, one of the daytime shows, like Oprah or something. Like, if your kids are lost, tell them to look for a mother with kids. Like, a woman with kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With her. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't find a, a mother with kids, just a woman is fine. Less chance mm-hmm. of being brutally murdered. All right, Jenny, what is your why for this episode? This is why we were terrified to go anywhere in public <laughs> all the time when we were kids. And, like, we're all, like, have, like, mental illness now. Yeah. Because yeah. we just thought there was maniacs everywhere. Yeah, it's really interesting. Because I feel like now we're very careful about things. And I think, you know, I was talking with mom about this the other day. Like, Gen Xers raise their kids completely different. Like, we raise our yeah. kids not to Don't trust, trust anybody. Anyone. Don't trust yeah. anybody. Nope. Although there was the whole stranger danger thing. But. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that was later. I don't remember. I remember like them telling you like don't take candy from strangers. Right, but that's not what abductions look like. I know. That's the thing. Yeah. Is like they abductors, you know, get a piece of information or learn something about the victim and then they regurgitate that just like what what Purnell did with Steven Mm -hmm. and then they think that they know their life and they trust them. Yeah. Because they have information about their family or their life and they, they think they know them. So they give like the, the illusion of, of familiarity when it's not there at all. And you can't trust what people are saying. True. I will say too, um, just an FYI for you true crime buffs out there. The guy who wrote the mini series, I know my first name is Steven, also wrote the movie Helter Skelter. So wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think was that, is true now that wasn't true then is like we protect the privacy of kids a lot better now than we used to oh yeah like it's way harder to get information about children like even you know i mean obviously the internet's a big part of that and having to protect kids privacy on the internet but i think just Mm -hmm. in general like we're better at like like it would be harder to get information on kids now yeah i was trying to think it would have been then if you guys are new to our podcast or just listening to this in isolation we cover a lot of Little House, and at the end, we jokingly say, whose fault is this? And I was like, whose fault is this? And I'm like, is it the nosy postal worker? Yeah, maybe. Who kind of gave Parnell that piece of information that yeah. he needed? Or would he have gotten another piece of information? He would, we don't well, know. he, he would have maybe gotten another kid. Like, it seems like that helped him pick Steven. As... Well, he had been watching Steven. Yeah. So he'd been looking for something, and then he just needed, like... You know, God, what a creep. 20 year old Amy to come around and be blabbing everyone's business. So, Jenny, I'm just going to read you the very quick because I don't want to give Ken Parnell any more air than that motherfucker deserves. But I'm just going to sum up what happened to him by reading the Wikipedia entry. (laughs) In January 2003, Parnell is arrested again after trying to coerce his caregiver's sister into buying him, buying him a four year old boy for $500. Christ. Parnell was 71 years old at this time. He had emphysema, diabetes, and he had suffered a stroke. 
He was requiring 24-hour care, and he was living in Berkeley. Um, the caregiver was aware of his past and cooperated with the police in setting up a sting operation that led to his arrest. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into details, but I will say it was gross. And he was convicted on February 9th, 2004. He was sentenced to 25 years in life. Uh, 25 years to life under California's three strikes law. So Parnell remained incarcerated until his death at the age of uh, 76, uh, January 21st, 2008. And he died of natural causes. Is the brother still in prison? Dead? The brother's still in prison. Wow. He's still in prison. So like, this is just so interesting because it's the snowball effect. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like if this had happened to Stephen, would Carrie have been as troubled as he right, was? Right. Like, I, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting how this brother tried to outdo his younger sister. I mean, he, and like that probably fucked up that people. family indefinitely. Like that, I can't imagine oh, that that would all. 100%. Would happen if, if this didn't happen to them. Yeah. 100%. 100%. All right, Jenny, other, any closing thoughts? No. I'm going to watch that documentary, though. It's really good. It's really good. All right, guys. This has been Gen X. That was a thing. If you haven't already, check out our uh, Little House episodes. And we also um, put two episodes a month on our Patreon, where you can find in the show notes. And you can find My So-Called Life, so far, is what we're doing. And we're doing some other stuff. We talked about Waco. Oh, yeah. That would be good one. There's a new Waco miniseries out we might have to talk about. Yeah. Um, and then we just dropped our coverage of Pamela, a love story. So check that out if you haven't already. And we'll uh, meet you again in May, I guess. This is going this is going out in April. I'm going to put this out the first week of April. Okay. So we'll do something else for May. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thanks so much. And we'll see you soon.